The story of the lost son, the wayward son, the prodigal son. One of the most famous stories Jesus ever told, and he told it to address a certain situation that occurred in the first century, probably time and time again to Jesus, as we will see. It was a common challenge he faced. But he also told it not to to address something that happened back then. He told us the story so that we would find ourselves in the story all these thousands of years later. And so that we would also learn something extremely important about who God is. Yeah, it's a story that shows us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And today we're going to start week one. Looking at the good. The good being something we desperately need to see and understand about who God is and what God is like. But like with a lot of great stories, there's a backstory. I mean, don't you love it? I, I like movies like this when you start watching the movie and there's action, immediate. And, and you don't even really understand what's going on. It's kind of fast and furious kind of stuff. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what's that? And then all of a sudden, it stops. And up on the screen, it says, three years earlier. And then it takes you back. And you're like, oh, now nah, we're going to get the backstory. This is going to be good, you know. Like, no wonder that didn't make sense to me because I didn't know the backstory. Now I'm going to get the backstory. So it's a little bit like that, not years ago. But there's a backstory. Jesus told the story of the lost son as the third of three back-to-back-to-back stories. Three stories, back-to-back-to-back, and they all made one point. Jesus told three stories to make one point crystal clear. So let's look at the backstory. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, stop right there. I uh, need to explain that. Uh, tax collectors in the first century were not known as stand-up citizens. They were not people you wanted to spend time with. It's not the profession you wanted your young son uh, to go into. Uh, tax collectors worked in cahoots with the Roman authorities, the Roman government, ultimately with Caesar. Caesar imposed stiff taxes on the Jewish people in the first century in their um, kind of abuse of power uh, that was going on there at the, you know, in that time in the Roman Empire. And tax collectors could basically charge anything they wanted. They could take any amount of money they wanted for themselves as long as Caesar got what Caesar wanted, as long as Rome got what Rome wanted. And so if you were dishonest, which a lot of them were, you could pad your own pockets and and people kind of knew that, but there's nothing you could do about it kind of thing. So they were not known as great people. Now, here's the deal. If you, different today, if you work in the tax industry, we love you (laughs) and the fun taxes you bring. Yay. Okay, so... But tax collectors and other notorious sinners, notorious meaning people that had a reputation like, mm, your mama don't want you hanging out with them. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Dun, 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 dun. He's eating with them, right? It's not just like he had a conversation with them. It's like, hey, let's go to Dario afterwards. 
hey, you know, we're eating together, hanging out together. And back then, who you ate with said a lot about who you cared about and what was important to you and what you valued and who you valued. It's still true today, but even more so back then. And so that's the setting. And so to address the group of Pharisees, Jesus told three stories back to back to back to back to make a point. So Jesus told them this story, story number one, story of a lost sheep. And it goes like this. A shepherd had a hundred sheep. One of them wandered away and got lost. So what did the shepherd do? He left the 99 sheep back in the fold and went to find the one. And when he found it, he put the sheep on his shoulders and came back and celebrated. I have found my lost sheep. And here's what's interesting. Jesus told these first two stories in a rhetorical kind of nature, kind of like an implied question. And it sounded like this. When a shepherd has a sheep and he has a hundred and one wanders off, doesn't he leave the 99 to go find the one? As if like we all know that's what shepherds do because we all know shepherds and the Pharisees are probably looking at each other going, yep. Yep, yep, my brother Bob's a shepherd, and that's what he does. Yeah, I, my neighbor, Kevin, he's a shepherd, and he, he does that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Bob and Kevin, we all know, are great Jewish names, so that's where those came from. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. makes sense. That's, that's what you do. That's, that's what you do. And then Jesus said this, and the Pharisees didn't see this coming. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous, righteous, and haven't strayed away. And I'm like, what? Jesus is trying to make a point here, okay? This scenario that you're very familiar with teaches us something very important about what goes on in heaven and who God is and what God is like and what God cares about. And so they're beginning to scratch their head, but before they started raising their hands and asking questions, hey, 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 he went right in to another story, story of a lost coin. Woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. And when you're in that situation, you have 10 silver coins, that's a lot of money, and you lose one, that's a lot of money. She said, he said, won't they? Wouldn't she? Don't we all know this is the way it happens? You turn the house upside down. She turned the house upside down, sweeping and clearing things out until she found the one. And when she found the lost coin, oh, there it is. She calls her friends. She calls her family, calls off the search. I found my lost coin. And they celebrate. And the Pharisees are going, okay, well, okay, I'm not sure what Jesus just said, but that makes sense. That's what you would do. That's what I would do. That's what we all would do. Yes, that makes sense. And then Jesus, he's, he's preparing them. For a gotcha, okay? So he said, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Okay, wait a second. Here again. Okay, he's taking the scenario that we're all familiar with, and he's saying this is what God is like. This is what heaven is like. Hmm. And before they could start with their questions and the hands go up and everything, Jesus, and here's the gotcha story. Here's the one they didn't see coming. They were tracking with the first two. Jesus knew this next one was going to be a butt kicker, going to really challenge them, but he goes right into it. And to illustrate his point further, he tells them the story of a lost son. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. One point, we'll get to it in a minute. And Jesus says, a man has two sons. The story we just read to you just a few minutes ago. 
The young son comes to the dad and says, I want my share of inheritance right now. I mean, before you die, I would just kind of like to have that now. And for whatever reason, the dad agreed. And he gave both sons, the younger and the older, their share of the inheritance. A few days later, the young son was like, see ya. And he went off to a distant country, a far away place, not for vacation, but to live it up and to waste everything. That's what he did. That just squandered it all on wild life, wild living, wild women, you name it, he did it until he didn't have anything left. And then a famine hit and he began to starve because he couldn't, he couldn't take care of himself. So he gets a job working for a farmer, feeding pigs. And it got so bad and he got so hungry. What he was feeding the pigs was looking very good to him. And he had nothing. So he came to his senses and he said, man, I got, what am I doing? What have I done? I need to go home to the father. But you know what? I, I, I've messed up so bad. I just need to ask dad to hire me on as one of his servants because even the servants have three square meals a day. And so I'll just ask dad to let me be one of the servants and work for his estate. And so he worked on this speech, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then he, he heads off and he goes home. And, and then there's this reunion, this reigniting of relationship and the dad and the son, they embrace and it's like, oh, and the movie score is loud and people in the theater are cheering and it's great. And they begin to celebrate. Except, back in the shadows, the older brother sees what's happening, hears about what's going on and he was like, oh, I don't think so. That's where that started, first time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And he was ticked off. And, and the father, celebrating with the young son, is reaching out to the older son, saying, come on, your brother's home, your baby brother's home, your little brother's home. I, I understand, I, I, I know you got questions and I get it, but come on, let's, he's trying to bring the family together. Three stories, back to back to back. One point, and here's the point. In all three stories, what Jesus is trying to illustrate is the heart of the Father. But not just the heart of the Father in the last story of the Father of the two sons, the heart of the heavenly Father trying to teach them something about who God is. Because remember, the punchline from story one was, you see, it, there's joy in heaven. And the punchline from story two was like, and there's rejoicing in the presence of angels, uh, God's angels. And so, yeah. He, the heart of the Father is, is, the point of the, is the point of the whole thing. That's why Jesus is telling these stories, is to teach the Pharisees and to teach me and you what God is like, especially in regards to people who have screwed up and messed up and wandered off. Yeah. And maybe immediately you're going, well, that's me. And, and maybe immediately you're going, oh, but I know who that is. Either way, the heart of the Father. The heart of the father for the son who made some stupid choices, the young son that went off and wasted it all. And the heart of the father for the older son who had a bad attitude, full of pride, cold, indifferent, and arrogant. The heart of the father. So let's start to dive in and get snapshots of what that heart looks like. We go into the story, we go to the moment when the younger son had decided, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home to dad, and, and I'm going mean, to say, dad, just hire me. Okay? And so what we're told here is that while he was still a long way off, okay, so he's really just barely, I mean, just cresting over the horizon, down the dirt road, down the path, his father saw him coming. 
Again, we're going to see the heart of the father. His father saw him coming, which implies dad was looking. He was searching. He was longing. He was hoping. Is this the day? Is this, is this the morning? He's drinking his coffee. Is this the morning? Is this the afternoon? It's getting late. I wonder if today's the day at night. He leaves the light on. Leaves a candle burning. Just in case. Just in case while the family's asleep. The son knows. Yeah. Until that day he looks out over the horizon and sees dust. Not a salesman. It's my son. And what happens next shows us so clearly the heart of the father. Now, I'm sure that the father had all kinds of parent emotions, just like any parent would. I mean, you, you know, what, you're kind of frustrated, maybe even angry. Yeah, a little embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Got lots of questions, and you're worried to death. You're worried sick, which makes you even more frustrated. And you're probably thinking, oh, what should I do? You know, how's he going to learn his lesson? What kind of consequences there need to be? You know, all these kinds of things are normal things for parents to think and feel. But what happens next shows us heart of the father. So the sun's coming up over the horizon. The dad sees him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You talking about a moment, if you can just imagine this. He runs to his son, immediately filled with love and compassion and embraces him and kiss him. Now, you you would not, you just wouldn't see this coming. And that just lets us know this is the heart of the Father. Facet one, compassion. Compassion. That's the heart of that Father, the heart of the Heavenly Father for people. Compassion. Now, again, I'm not sure if this is what the young son expected. And it's certainly not what the older son thought was appropriate. But the father was filled with compassion when he saw his son. Not condemnation and not criticism. And we, we kind of expect condemnation and criticism, right? I mean, maybe you're thinking, yeah, if I saw him coming up over the horizon, I'd run. Yep, I'd run. I'd be like, oh, no. Do you know how, you know what a mess your mama's been? Do you know I haven't been listening to all that? You know, we're all been worried sick. You know what the neighbors are saying? How dare you come home? That's about time, but I don't know. Not so fast. Don't think you could just traipsing right back in here. No, none of that. None of that. Didn't give him an earful. And maybe the young son was expecting an earful, at least to a degree. And, and we know the older brother, man, he was just like, man, he better get his. That's all I'm saying. We'll talk about that. But the heart of the father was full of compassion. And if you're concerned right now with what about consequences, we'll get there, we'll talk about all that. There's a time and a place for that, and we will talk about that in the next couple of weeks when it's appropriate. But right now we're looking at the heart of the father because that was the point of the whole thing, the point of all three stories. And right now the Pharisees are like, what is going on? Who, who, he's trying to tell us this is what God is like. We don't see God like this. We never thought God was like this. And Jesus is like, oh yes, God is like this. Compassion. But then he shows us the second facet, and he sets it up like this. 
okay? There's this big hug, this moment, they're together out there on the road in the driveway. The young son kind of pushes dad away a little bit and he's like, okay, dad, um, I'm so sorry. And he goes right into his rehearsed speech and it's like the dad interrupts him. But the father said to the servants, he's like, yeah, 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 quick. And he's yelling back at the house. Bring the finest robe in the house because this guy's close. He's like he's half naked. He's been traveling. He's sold everything and put it on him. Get a ring, the family ring with the family crest that identifies him as one of us. Put that on his finger and, and sandals for his feet. His feet are a mess and they're bloody and they're torn. Come on, we got, we got to help him out here and, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. It's a big deal, especially if you're the calf. No, it's a big deal. And you, I mean, you're fattening up a calf back then. It was like we're fattening up this calf. So just in case, you know, we, we're getting ready for a big moment. You never know when the big moment is just like, you know, it's kind of like fattening up the turkey for Thanksgiving. I mean, they're fattening up the calf kind of thing and just kind of waiting for this big moment. And imagine that's just kind of what they do. And that one's getting, man, that one's putting on the pound. Oh, you mean old Bill over there? Yeah. Kill the fatted calf. What? That's a huge deal. Why? Let's keep reading. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. I mean, not like literally, but like, like he's dead. He's like gone. He's like away. He's like dead to us. He was dead and he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Right. I mean, and it was dancing and music and, and great food. It's a big deal because the heart of the father was not just a heart of compassion. Just made it clear. It's a heart of celebration. And we saw it in all three stories, right? Lost sheep, found the sheep, celebrate with me. Lost coin, found the coin, celebrate with me. Wayward son, son comes home, let's throw a feast. We're going to party. Joy, celebration, that's the heart of the father. Unexpected, I think, also from both sons. I don't think the younger son expected dad to respond this way. And I certainly know the older brother didn't think dad should have responded this way. And the Pharisees at this point, man, they're just drawing a blank. What in the world is going on here? A heart of celebration. People you typically don't see God like this, do they? And maybe you have never seen God like this. People think typically God is all serious all the time, right? Looking down on us, literally like looking down on us as he's looking down on us. He looks down on us as he looks down on us. Oh, sinners. Right? And, and we talked about you better not. You better not. You don't want to cross God. Man, you don't want to, you don't want to make God, you don't want to make God mad. And, and we see God as just all judgment, all wrath, all the time. Now, is the judgment of God real? Absolutely. Is the wrath of God real? Absolutely. There's a time and a place to talk about that and a context for that. But that is not God's default setting. This is very important. People think God's default setting is that he is constantly, perpetually ticked off at the world. Reminds me that Jesus said, 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And when you save it, you celebrate. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost people. Yeah, people don't see God as a celebratory God. They don't see God as a celebratory father whose heart is full of compassion. See it with a finger pointed in our face. And a lot of that's our fault because that's how we represent him. But we'll get on that later. See, this story that Jesus was telling was so refreshing, so refreshing because it painted God in a different picture. Now, let me, um, let me, this is very important here. Jesus leaves this open-ended. He, he, he didn't kind of resolve, he didn't really resolve the story with you shoulda, you oughta. He kind of left it open-ended. And the reason he had left it open-ended is that he wanted the Pharisees to really wrestle with this, to find themselves in the story. And I think that that's what we should do, is find ourselves in this story and maybe immediately you're identifying with the lost son. You're like, yep, that's me. I've screwed up. Yeah, I've done stuff that people don't even know I've done. And, and yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've made a mess of things. Well, if you're identifying with the lost son, we're going to talk specifically about him next week. But no, you're welcome home. You're welcome to return. And God is a God whose heart is full of compassion and ready to celebrate your return period. And maybe you can identify with the older brother. You're like, yeah, now I totally get that guy. Yeah, because I got a sister, and I've got a neighbor, and I got this guy. I got a guy I work with. And I'm just like, man, they totally should get what's coming to them. Oh, man, I get it. It's not fair. It's not right, and it's not fair. I'll tell you that right now. So I, I can totally track with the older brother. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot more of the older brother attitude in all of us than we may want to admit if you're talking about just the right person, right? We'll talk about that at the end of this series. But the bigger question for us right now is how much like the heart of the Father is my heart and your heart? How much like his heart of compassion and celebration do we emulate? Compassion, celebration for all, for everybody, for lost sons that are you know, young, lost sons and older, ticked off brothers and everybody in between. Celebration and compassion for everybody. The screw ups and the squeaky clean and everybody in between. Because see, at the end of the day, here's what you need to remember, and we'll see this, is that this really was a story of two wayward sons, two messed up sons. The younger son obviously made some really stupid choices. But the older son may not have been guilty of what the younger son was guilty of. Oh, but he was so full of pride and arrogance, so full of himself. He had a bad attitude. And so both of them needed something from the father. Compassion and a heart of celebration. Time out. Real quick, let me kind of take... A side note here to bring you up to speed on something and then we'll come back to it because I think it's very, very important. When Jesus in the first century was in his ministry, he went from town to town to town to town to town and town and village to village to village and 
A lot of times we don't, we don't realize how that, what that looked like. We just, a lot of times we read the scriptures linearly, especially when we get, you know, Jesus said this, then he said this, then he said that, as if he said it one time and moved on, and said it this time and then he moved on. We think it's kind of like an A plus B equals C kind of thing, but it's not like that. What actually is much more accurate is understanding that Jesus went from town to town to town to town, teaching the same thing over and over and over again. So he told the same stories over and over and over again. He told them over here, told them over here, because how else would people hear them? Because there's no newspaper back then. It's not like you can get up the next morning and read the news. And last night in Galilee, to about 5,000 people, this is what Jesus taught. Uh-uh. It was word of mouth. And it was Jesus going from town to town and village to village teaching about the kingdom. That's what we're told. And so he told these stories over and over and over again and, and made these illustrations over and over and over again. This is so important because that means everything that Jesus taught, we need to assume he kept teaching. And he tied it all together. We just get snapshots and highlights. So that means... Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, when Luke records Jesus one day teaching this, you must be compassionate. Who? Me and you. Me and you. All of us, followers of Jesus. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is. And he's not telling a story. Right now he's talking about the Heavenly Father, God your Father. You must be compassionate, just like God is compassionate. To you, to the world. So we're to be like God. We're to look and understand who God is and know we're supposed to be like that. So fast forward back into the story, these stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And when you get to the story of the lost son and you start to see it all come together in the heart of the father, maybe then they're going, oh, whoa, 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 wait. Okay, so that's what he meant. That's what he meant last week when we heard him say, you must be compassionate. I don't know, maybe he set up the whole thing by teaching this first. You must be compassionate. Maybe he ended the teaching of the lost son by coming back to this principle. You must be compassionate. He taught these things time and time and time and time and time again. Just like your father. Be like him. So what that tells me is I must choose the father's heart, which is the point of all three stories. I must be like my father. I must choose the father's heart for everyone. Lost sons and older brothers and everybody in between. Screw-ups and squeaky clean and everybody in between. But people like them and people like me and everybody in between. Everybody is searched for. Everybody has the heart of the Father pointed to them with compassion. Everybody, no matter what they've done or where they've been, has a father in heaven that's looking their way, searching for them, hoping that they will just turn towards him and he is ready to meet them with compassion and celebration. He is ready to throw a party for them. Everyone, all of us need heart work done. Younger sons and older brothers, everybody needs. And see, it's hard for us to get this. It's hard for us to remember this. You know why? Because we have rigged our Christian system in such a way that it makes this hard for us to really embrace the heart of the Father. And here's what I mean by that. We've kind of inherited it, but it's a result of us. We perpetuate it. The Christian system that, that we've kind of, we've done this to ourselves. And, and the Christian system I'm talking about is the attitude we have that favors the good and spits out the bad. 
That's our Christian system, right? We favor the good. If you're good, good boy and girl, all right? You can come in, you can be one of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're bad, uh-uh, out. That, that, that's, I know that's oversimplifying it, but that's basically, if you really look at it, Christian system's been created, that we've created it. It's not a reflection of the Father's heart because here's what we learn when we see the Father's heart and we listen to the teachings of Jesus is that the good are really never as good as they think they are or they want everyone else to think they are. And the bad, no matter how bad you are, are always welcome back if they'll come. And we need to show them a God that's looking for them, hoping and longing, not his hands on his hips, ready to strike them down and cast them out, but ready to celebrate them home with compassion. Yeah, you see, it's the Father's heart. Okay, so let me bring this home to where you live. I want you to think right now of the most messed up, screwed up person you know. I want you, I want you when, when you hear about the lost sheep that wanders off, you're going, oh, I know her. Oh, I know him. I know exactly who that is. The lost coin, oh yeah, they're always, they're always, you know, getting lost. They're always doing their own thing. They're always. Who's the most messed up, screwed up person in your family? Who's the messed up, screwed up person at work in your neighborhood? Who is it? And maybe immediately as you're kind of, kind of identifying all of this with them, you're wrestling with a lot of thoughts. Question, do you, um, do you feel like you're pursuing and searching for them or would you just rather they just kind of stay away and leave everybody alone and do their own thing? Uh, do you find yourself with thoughts of condemning and criticizing and I'll tell you what their problem is and I'll tell you what needs to be done and how dare they and all this kind of stuff? Or do you find yourself with a heart of compassion towards them? I mean, think of that person and wrestle with this. Maybe you're going, oh, dude, but you don't understand. It is so not fair. It's just, you don't understand what they've done. You don't understand how far they've gone. You don't understand how embarrassing, how much hurt they've caused. You don't understand what they've done to our family. You don't understand what they've done to me. You don't understand what they've done in our office and, and how much carnage they have left. I, I get it. I get it. But see, here, here's what you and I do, and here's where we go wrong. You and I try to rationalize the heart of the Father. Instead, we should just display the heart of the Father. Here's what I mean by that. We try to figure out the love of God and make sense of the love of God. Well, well I, I don't think, I don't think, I, I think God would agree with me that they've just gone too far. I mean, there's a line, there's a line, and they've just gone over it, and too bad, so sad, they've made their bed, they need to lie in it, and so it's just kind of the way it, it, it is, and we try to rationalize, well, that doesn't make sense, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair if they were forgiven, and, and, and it wouldn't be fair if they got this job. It wouldn't be fair if their life turned out like that because I know what they've done and I know what they've been guilty of and, and look at me, I've done and I've done. And, see, and you try to rationalize and make it all make sense. If you try to make the love of God make sense, you will be so clueless because the love of God 
is irrational, unconditional towards them and towards you too, towards all of us. Don't try to rationalize the heart of the Father, just display it. Don't try to get it to where it makes sense to you because here's the deal. When you really learn how much God loves you, it will not make sense. And when you really learn how much God loves everybody else, especially all, yeah, when you start thinking about those people that have really messed up and screwed up, it will not make sense. Stop trying to rationalize it and just receive it and share it with others. I'll leave you with two questions. Ask yourself, how do I see God? How do I see the Father? How do I see God in relationship to that younger brother in my life, that person, those people I see on the news, right? People I read about online. And how do I see God in reference to me when I look in the mirror? I'm just expecting him to lower the boom, that I've sinned away grace. How do I see God? And does my heart reflect his? Compassion, celebration, compassion, celebration. No matter what, compassion, celebration. That's his heart. And everything else we know about God and learn about God comes out of the context of his default setting of compassion and celebration. That's his love for us, for everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I needed this. We needed this. You are the master storyteller, telling stories that don't just apply to what's going on in the first century, but in every century, and certainly still in our century, in our own lives, we need to know this. We need to consider who you are and find ourselves. Help us see our heart. Help us to see your heart. And may we reflect yours. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for being willing to celebrate us. And help us to know you're looking at the world, the messed up, screwed up, don't agree with, horrible choices. You look at the whole world and everybody in it the same way with compassion. And you're waiting and wanting and longing and searching to celebrate them home. They'll just turn to you. So help us show the world that version of you. Because that's who you really are. It's a love that never makes sense. It's a love that just cannot be rationalized. It is irrational, unconditional, even reckless. And we thank you for it because we are recipients. May we share it. In Jesus' name, amen.